Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your talent transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello, and welcome to the Performance Matters podcast. I'm your host, Michael Thiel. By day, I am the Director of Creative Services for the Innovation Research and Development Team. And by semi-night, I am the host of the Performance Matters podcast. It has been an amazing almost two years being a part of this podcast. It is just an absolute blast to have conversations with thought leaders all around our organization. And today I had the chance to catch up once again with friend of the show, Matt Donovan. He is Senior Vice President and Chief Learning and Innovation Officer here at GP Strategies and had a chance to just really riff and pick his brain. It was about dinner time, his time. And I said, Matt, I just want to have a follow-up conversation with you on some of your thoughts on AI as it pertains to the learning and development world. It is just a absolute treasure to get a chance to sit and chat with Matt. He's out at conferences. He is researching his doctoral thesis. He lives and breathes this world of AI and not from an academic standpoint, but from an organizational standpoint, he is testing things out. You would think he has a lab coat on all the time, but he doesn't. But today I had a chance to just pick his brain and just to tease you a little bit on this, we talked about a few things that I think you're going to love in this podcast. So in this conversation, had a chance to catch up with Matt and really pick up some really cool information in relation to where AI is already being used in learning and development. If you stick around, you'll get a chance to hear Matt really uncover four different ways AI is being used in the world of translation. You will get a chance to see a very fun and realistic use case of how AI is being used in video that involves a dishwasher tutorial and one that I guarantee if you have children, you're going to want to listen to this one. And then we shifted the conversation a little bit over to some emerging uses of AI when it comes to productivity. Really, in terms of this ability for AI to be right by your side and support you when times get tough, in times of trouble, if you will. And we even closed it up by blue skying some product ideas that we just might want to sell to Elon Musk. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Thank you again for tuning in. It is truly a pleasure being part of the Performance Matters podcast. It's a real treasure. If there's something that you want us to talk about, drop us some feedback wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple News, whether it's on our website at gpstrategies.com and you go to the resource section. But we are here to serve you. It is our honor and please enjoy this podcast. I know you will. Thanks so much. Okay, Matt, so we've been getting a lot of feedback, positive feedback, I will say, regarding the conversation we had when we had you and Jeff Fissel in a couple of weeks ago into the virtual studio. And 
Some questions have been coming through the chat threads. Incidentally, if you are a GP Strategies associate or an LTG associate, we encourage you to check out our AI Viva Engage page. I'm getting a lot of good feedback on there. And some of the questions we're getting really revolve around taking a deeper look into the role of AI as it pertains specifically to learning and development. And so I just wanted to carve off a little extra time for you today, Matt, and get your perspective there. So if you'll pull out your crystal ball again, I'm going to see you kind of summoning things in your mind here with your crystal ball. Uh, what are some of the things that you're seeing just as emerging trends that we should be aware of as it pertains to learning and development and AI? There's a couple of things from the tool side that I don't even really have to have much of a crystal ball. We're already seeing some things that are coming forward. <laughs> as you know, we've kind of talked a little bit about before. We're looking at breaking down applied AI in the LNG space into like a categories of tools. What are they applied towards? What are they trying to achieve with them? And so it's been pretty interesting. There are definitely some front runners we're seeing a lot of activity in. You know, I think one of the interesting ones is translations. And translations is definitely a hot topic. A lot of our customers are really looking to be able to reduce the cost in the timeline. We're constantly creating new content for them. They have a lot of information they need to share in the organization. And it needs to be translated while out there. And that's probably been one of the bigger challenges in the space is get it translated fast, efficiently, and accurately. With AI, it kind of, the generative AI brings in you know, the large language models. They're really transformative. They're really set to kind of think through languages. So translation is a good application for those kind of tools. So there's a lot of promise around those. So we're seeing four ways of how that's being solved. This question for the clients are, how can we get translations out there better, faster, cheaper, but we want good and we want to get it out there successfully. So there's four ways that the industry is kind of shaking out right now. We've got the legacy translation company that have been out there, been doing this for a while. They've got large translation memories. They have a process. They've got these tools that are set up for translations, and they have definitely been experimenting with bringing in AI more into the system, especially with the generative. So they're looking to kind of roll that into the hybrid set of tools with what they have. So you definitely see their evolution on a path to be able to say, what can we do to kind of from a large language model, how can we use that to address the cost time speed, you know, thing while still having a great product. The other one I would say are the individual companies that are generating. These are what I would call more the startups. And so these are companies that are hmm. fit for purpose, they're gonna do translation, but they're gonna hook up to a large language model. They're gonna create type of a user interface where I can upload what I need to have translated pick the languages, it'll come back down to be translated for us. So that's the second one. Now there's two kinds of those. Those are the ones that are just providing the tool only. So think of it as a self-service. You get access to the same translation tool. Right. You upload it, you get it back. The second grouping of this one is actually where they're bridging kind of like a project workspace interface. So you go in, you're going to manage your translation projects. And then you're going to have not only the machine learning that's able to do that, but you also will have the network of translators. So they actually have human translators as a network. So think of it as like an Uber where you're connecting to a translation network on one side. So you had it translated, but it needs to be refined. Now I can go out and uh, find my network okay. translator. So, so the first one is just machine only. The other one is machine plus network. The traditional ones definitely have a network of translators. And they have a hybrid between the legacy plus the new tools. That's 
the two categories. The third one really is looking at where companies themselves are considering what would it take for us to set up our own translation. So using our own data, our own translation memory, creating our own history, but using a large language model, what if we were to do it for our data for ourselves be able to be applied with it? Is there an option? So that some of them are starting to look at like, what would we need to do to set that up internally? And then the last one is what I would call native translation and some of the you know, content or asset generation tools. So for example, if I'm using AI to generate a video from text, so I write in a script or I have it generate a script for me, it'll create a video for that. And then it can actually translate the actual narrative into the foreign language with that or in the other languages on the fly in that tool. So that's the fourth category of how we're seeing different people trying to solve that problem. So as you can imagine, each one of those has its own workflow, its own challenges, its own drawbacks. But I think there's a lot of movement and pressure to be able to say, can we address this overall translation? Because you know, translation is just so expensive. I think the big thing for us as a mindset is we have to think differently about just saying all translations are equal. Absolutely. A small job aid to guide your work that's shared with an affiliate in another country. Machine language translation that's 80% right, maybe good enough. Send it over. Local affiliate can kind of tweak the job aid for what they have and to be able to use that, that's good enough. If you're doing your mission, vision, and values for the organizations, I probably wouldn't go with like an 80% language translation. <laughs> want to make sure it's a little more nailed. So you got to kind of think about the availability of the content, the risk that's associated with it, and select the pathway that's possible. I don't think there's just one... I think you will look at a portfolio of translation options. This is something that does drive off of big data. Mm. So real battleground is having the 80,000, 100,000 phrases that help you build out your model and make it not just what it was trained on, but also refining it for work that you've already had translated or available for it to take in. So that's translation is a big one, a lot to come in that one. Oh, yeah. One of the things that from hearing you from all those different use cases, I got really excited about hearing about where you have the ability to corporately from an enterprise level, feed in your own information, your own nuanced elements. It's like, I know how to say, where's the bank in Spanish yeah. just fine, but it's the trade specific language. And if you could start to get to that level where you have an affiliate who's that really has the force multiplication where they look at it and are just making a couple fine-tuned tweaks yeah. versus going, oh my goodness, I have to reverse engineer this whole thing. I mean, that gets really exciting for sure. It is. And I think it's really intriguing to be able to see. Now that gets back that if you take it in-house, that means you're training and refining the database. With your data, you're managing it. It becomes part of what you do. Mm -hmm. So that means you have to take on that skill set. You kind of got to know what you're doing, but you can own it. Some of the other ones, you can actually do it. So like the startups, you can still use your own translation memory with it and refine it specifically for you. You just are kind of going into your own project space on that. Interesting. And that SaaS model is held by the, the owners of that system. <laughs> All right, so translation, you've just dropped about four different knowledge nuggets on us right here. What's another thing that you're seeing as a really practical day-to-day -day usage of AI as it pertains to L&D, Matt? In the world of what I would say AI-generated video, so AI being able to create video as an output, whether it's an avatar, whether it's a series of images sequenced against an overall narration, 
being able to generate that, there's a lot of movement in that space. A lot of folks are doing it. I think there's a lot of consumer education that's happening. What does good really look like? I mean, once you get past the, wow, look what it can do. It could generate something. Then you go, mm, is that really good enough? Am I looking for that? So for example, some of the ones that are generating like avatars, they said, oh, I can hear the voice. The narration sounds good, but the lip syncing's off a little bit. Right. Is that disruptive enough for them to actually be able to see that? The video clips that it may sync with, I used ChatGPT and a plugin called Vistla to create a short video on how to load a dishwasher for my son. The idea behind that was to set that up and have that go through. It went out and picked clips that it had from a large library, hmm. but instead of load the tray where you would put the dishwasher detergent into it, it cut to a picture of a washing machine with the tray being loaded with the detergent. Minor things in it, but can you refine that? Can you fix that? Absolutely. Right. Tagging your clip, showing the application a little different. But I think those are the things of like, okay, in the creation of a script, a compelling series of plot points in it or a logical sequence or progressing of it, being able to track and create a narrative and then do the visual imagery that would reinforce it. I think it's like, is it good? It's coming across. It's actually been able to really, you know, wow, it was able to take what I said about dishwasher. It found like 80% of the right clips. It did pretty good on sequencing. Right. It identified an eight step process to be able to load the dishwasher. It did all of that. But in the end, it still wasn't perfect. So what can the tools be improved? The answer will be yes. Wait eight months and it'll do something better. You know, this is still lining up, though, where you still need someone to polish it off, right? You still need someone, as you've talked about several times, is you still need that critical thinking to go, is this about right? Kind of like what we do with pilots, right? Pilots yep. do the takeoffs and landings, but they're not at the wheel grip flying from LA to Australia. They're there in case something goes wrong. Yeah. So we're kind of getting that same element going. That's exciting. So let me just ask you something just procedurally on your dishwasher video, which I need that by the way for my kids. So when you're done with that, send it my way. <laughs> and they're actually quite a bit older than your kids too. So they really need some remedial training. But is this the kind of thing where you load it in and you see a couple of those spots? Is there an online editor where you can go in and do some quick trims and maybe search for something for that 20%. Is that kind of how you're seeing that stuff work right now? Yeah, I think it's where it's going to go is that you're going to have access to a license of video clips potentially. Okay. Or I've created my own clips, my own repository of clips. I could go back to the script that was originally generated before the video created was launched, or I can go back and sequence edit if I want to coming out of it. Oh, wow. And I think it starts off with the script. When we look at it, my son knows how to load the dishwasher correctly. What are the failure points when he doesn't follow? See, it taught him do this, but it didn't tell him like, if you don't do this and you do this wrong, because it's just easier. Like for example, you cram the dishes so close, the water can't. <laughs> don't do that. So when we say evenly space it out, what it needs to be able to show is, here's what happens when you don't do this. Each step that you should do, here's the failure point for that. AI is not going to do that. It's going to go out and say, here's the seven steps you should do to do this. The creative says, drive it back to failure points. What happens when we don't follow each of these? And then you want a little bit of humor to it. What happens when you don't? That's where you begin to tweak the video. And I think that's what's really coming out is that, you know, in order to work with the tools, it's not a passive experience. I see. You're aggressively engaging with the bot to do this. It's a hands-on exercise. 
And in the beginning, depending on the size of the task, it may seem like you're actually putting more energy than having done it by yourself. But if you're building a, a beachhead of experiences that training the bot, working with the bot, it will pay dividends down the road to be able to come back. That You'll get more proficient. It'll get better at what it does. It'll have access to better data and you'll just together generate a better piece with that. And that's where I think it's important in how we use the tools. They're not going to automatically fix it. Now, could they take somebody who's never created a video, never done that? Look, I did something that was 80% correct in two and a half minutes with simply putting something in. And it took somebody trying to teach them to create a video would be a lot more with AI. So that human plus AI became, you know, threshold proficient, but that's okay. Where you want to say, I want to be able to do a good job. That's where somebody who's more experienced with video production understands how script visuals and narrative all work together can go in and work with the tool to really drive a much better outcome. Right. That's really exciting for selfishly, you know, that I'm involved in quite a bit of video and I can just see that immediately instead of opening up a video editor and it's completely blank, you fed in a script, you're getting some things in there that are taking away, as we talked about, it's taking away the drudge work. It's taking away tasks. It's not taking away work. I agree, Mike, but I think like you and I, we've probably ended up with some really good bonding moments sitting in an editing bay with somebody just sitting around there, you know. You, But it's usually like at 3 a.m. though. It's 3 a.m. You got pizza <laughs> thrown over on the floor around there, crumbs all over you, two or three soda, empty sodas around you. But the bonding was there when the work was happening. <laughs> I, you know, if the bot does it all for me in two minutes, where am I going to get my quality time from? Okay. That's a fair argument. That's a fair argument right there. I really do like what you just talked about, about things going wrong though. Cause that's where I'm like, you can't nest your silverware together. There's spacers for a reason. So I can see me putting in my humor into that video and that would be kind of good. Well, and then you cut to a big picture that's fabricated of just a ginormous fork ball of them all together and it's like this is what happens when you cluster the forks you know and you show this ridiculously large just all these protruding forks out of a fork ball i mean that's the humor you bring to it that's the yes. great thing as humans that we we can see that we can have that we can infuse it with the ai and the ai is kind of the straight person we're the creative curiosity that brings it it can try different things it does great on scenario I mean, imagine if I was really happy with my loaded dishwasher script and my humor was worked in it, but what if I were able to now say, pick your dishwasher? So instead of me having to edit to create 75 brands pictured in the video, it went and got the videos for each brand and then it stuck those in and then it just created automatically 75 authentic. So when you're stacking the glasses, it's to the glass rack configuration in that one. The script holds true, but imagine being able to do that like in no time to be able to have that. Event. That is freaking awesome. And there was no way we would ever want to do 75 anyway. That is an absolute thing most of us would not want to do. I know my video would be like, pick two. <laughs> It'd be really lazy. <laughs> yeah. These covers most of the rest. With AI, we can, yeah. I can customize that for each of them. So I'm so much more excited about AI already just from this translation, video editing. I know we've taken up a lot of your time, but is there just one more thing that you can share today with the audience? One more cool trend 
I think the productivity bots are interesting. Okay. Yes. A lot of upside on the productivity being able to help out. So let's talk about that because we're getting a lot of questions. People are saying, A, do we already have this and how do I get it? First of all, let's back this up here. Yeah. For those that haven't listened to one of our former sessions, if you're listening, welcome. We encourage you to like, subscribe, follow. But Matt's talking about the idea of a productivity bot. Paint the scenario of where this might be useful. If you're like me, and unfortunately some days I have back-to-back meetings and you start to get meeting fatigue, I'll take my own notes, but it's always great to have an extra set of eyes to be able to do that. But AI productivity bots are things that will follow you from meeting to meeting. It'll listen in on your meeting. It'll create a transcript. It can summarize that. It can call out action items. And it can even then set up into a workflow things like reminders and nudges to say, hey, you said you were going to follow up by Friday with this. Have you sent it yet? Have you sent it yet? Have you sent it yet? If you're in, like, for example, the sales function, using chorus.ai as an example of one, it can actually layer out a sales workflow that can tie back into pre-call planning, post-call planning, things to cover during the call, follow-ups, et cetera, all of that kind of stuff. It can actually work into, and it can connect back to your CRM where it can actually put notes about a client into that you have had conversations with. So what it does is it allows us to do a lot of the things when we're really, really busy, the things we don't do. I don't summarize my meetings. I don't send out my notes. I forget a couple of to-do items. It's like having an assistant that follows you to every meeting that is able to walk away and they'll remind you for what you need to be able to do. That's the interesting part. But then on the other side, there are social things. I mean, if we start to have these shadows, these productivity bots that follow us to places, you know, they're recording lots of information and things. You have to be aware, like, what type of a meeting am I in? Am I telling people that it's being recorded? There's a whole variety of things socially that we'll need to think about as we start to use these tools. Oh, yeah. I can see a whole, what would you call it, boutique consulting business going on with this type of you know, the old fashioned term of netiquette for those of us that are, you know, old enough to remember the dawn of AOL and email and everything like that. You'd go to courses and people would teach you what to say and and how to do it. I can see that starting to emerge. But I think you're hitting on one key thing here with this productivity bot is it's allowing you to do what you do best and then have your back. And you think about this, though, in a traditional, like pure office world, some of these things, I don't know if they would even work as well as they work in more of this virtual world where we have people are living on Teams or Zoom. I feel like that's where they really are thriving in that. I'm kind of curious on your perspective. In worlds where people are going to return back to offices, do you still see the bot flourishing some way in that kind of scenario? That's an absolutely great question. Now, I already experienced this going back to the classrooms. So there were some elements that when we were on Zoom meetings and we were all there for, say, let's just say for the classroom, separate that. I was just talking about the classroom. Mm -hmm. There was an element that was really nice in the classroom to be able to have a running chat dialogue where you could add things of relevance at the moment with what people were talking about without interrupting. In a classroom, when we're physically all in there, everybody has to take a turn to share an idea. And one of the things I noticed is that when we were online and then we came back into the classroom, it was really hard because I really like to share a lot of thoughts in the chat. I wanted to provide a lot of 
room for people to share and voice their ideas and their opinions in the classroom. So it was a great way to be able to share without being disruptive with it. But when you get back to the physical classroom, we lost that track. And I, my advocacy is that we should be bringing that component back into it. So having an actual bot, perhaps, that can actually interact and capture notes and ideas, and we can actually upload and share ideas into it, and it's able to kind of track a thread inside the classroom. I think we should be able to do that. And I think it kind of would probably unnerve facilitators sometimes because they're like, I got to keep not just what's in front of me, but aware of what's going on around me. But the reality is, is that our classrooms are going to be hybrid. Not everybody will be in the classroom. You'll still need to do that. And the idea is to engage them. So I think we create the best of both worlds where even if we do come back in, we still have these tools of like that chat, that engagement pain. We still have the opportunity for productivity bots to help capture meeting notes, summary, what we're doing, lecture notes, those kind of things. I think it's still valuable to have it. To be honest, if you're going to record the session anyway to post for somebody to watch later, why wouldn't you be able to have it recorded with the other bots? So, I mean, there are things out there. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. I don't think either of us have an answer, but I'm almost feeling like there's almost that opportunity to have the bot become like a product in itself, kind of like introducing the R2-D2 by you. And it might not be a big droid following you, but it might be just something you kind of pop on a table and it's got like an owl head. And it's, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? And I think it'll probably start to be, what if it is actually something wearable? Imagine that the equivalent of it is, is that it's a device that I wear on me somewhere. It could be a necklace, could be a watch, could be whatever, but it could also project an avatar, a hologram. I have a semi-physical embodiment of what it is, but taking notes and sharing it, but it could project and I could have a projector, not projector, take notes or whatever. But yeah, you could actually start to have it be in something like that. I don't think we're that far away from that. Sometimes I just take a step back and I go, okay, if I looked back 10 years ago, I would not have imagined how far things have come already. And now I look back just one year since generative AI was opened up to the masses and things that we're talking about now that are almost commonplace, it's going to be really interesting what happens specifically just to our world of learning and development, talent transformation in the next couple of years. So my head's exploding right now, Matt. And I know that your schedule from even us trying to get this time together is so compressed. So I want to thank you on behalf of our global listeners for carving off some time right when it's dinner time over there on the East Coast. So we appreciate you so much. No, I appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to coming back and doing it again. Talk a little more. I will see you very soon, Matt. Take care, sir. Have a great day. Thanks. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.